The following is a message from Wellsprings Congregation. Thank you so much, band. And thank you, Frank, for that introduction. As Frank said, I'm Andrew. Nice to meet you all. Good morning. I'm going to start uh, with, a, with a reading, a story from a dear friend and colleague, Reverend Victoria Safford. She serves in Minnesota, which I'm sure is not having weather like this today. <laughs> Poor Victoria. She writes, In a cemetery once, an old one in New England, I found a strangely soothing epitaph. The name of the deceased and her dates have been scoured away by wind and rain, but there was a carving of a tree with roots and branches with a classic 19th century motif, and among them the words, She attended well and faithfully to a few worthy things. At first, this seemed to me a little meager, a little stingy on the part of her survivors, but I wrote it down and have thought about it since, and now I can't imagine a more proud, more satisfying legacy. She attended well and faithfully to a few worthy things. Every day I stand in danger of being struck by lightning and having the obituary of the local paper read for all the world to see. She attended frantically and ineffectually to a great many unimportant, meaningless details. How do you want your obituary to read? He got all the dishes washed and dried before playing with his children in the evening. She balanced her checkbook with meticulous precision and never missed a day of work. Missed a lot of sunsets, missed a lot of love, missed a lot of risk, missed a lot, but her money was in order. She answered all her calls, all her emails, all her voicemail, but along the way she forgot to answer the call to service and compassion and forgiveness, first and foremost, of herself. He gave and forgave sparingly, without radical intention, without passion or conviction. She could not or would not hear the calling of her heart. How will it read? How does it read? And if you had to name a few worthy things to which you attend well and faithfully, what, I wonder, would they be? Thank you, Victoria, for those words. Who here has ever felt busy? Oh, there are many of you who haven't. Well, that may just not be participating. There is too much to do. Too little time with which to do it. And it, may, it could be my perception, but I feel like everyone is busy. Everyone is busy. Our culture promotes this. And we're told, we're told that if we're not busy, we're not valuable. Our value is tied up with how much we produce, how much we do. And then we get in this sort of bragging. Like, oh, you think you're busy? Yeah, let me tell you how tired and overwhelmed I am. It's a sort of value, like I have more value because I stayed up later and got up earlier and so much more I'm doing. And part of our faith, our communal faith, our individual faith, part of our faith 
is going against a push saying that your worth is defined by how much you produce, by how busy you are. You aren't worthy just by what you produce. Your inherent worth and dignity is not diminished or sustained by your productivity. You have inherent worth and dignity inherently. And it's hard. It's hard to be countercultural. And every time we buy into this, the value of more and more, we risk pushing ourselves and we wish, risk pushing others into that epitaph that reads, she attended frantically and ineffectually to a great many unimportant, meaningless details. And the great thing, actually, the great thing about having two services is that I had a comment of someone who said they had the opposite, that sometimes they fall into ennui, depression, and they don't produce at all. And our calling is both and. Your worth is not diminished by not producing. You still have worth and dignity. It's both sides. I find myself, and this is why I speak from my experience, I find myself often concerned with and bound by what could be considered these very meaningless details. There's always something I could be doing, always something on my to-do list. I have a to-do list which never, it's never empty. I sort of add stuff to the bottom or add stuff to the middle or top, depending on, on what that is. It just shrinks and grows from day to day. And I, I, I guess that this is similar for some of you. Our jobs, our school, our finances, house projects, things that come up. We have taken or we have been given enough tasks to last more than our lifetime. In a sense, I find this liberating. It's like, oh, well, I can't get to the end of my to-do list, so I don't have to worry about it. But it can also be the opposite. It also could be overwhelming. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have this list and... Reroof the shed has been on there for quite some time, and it's going to rain again. That's, I mean, I'm actually in the middle of reroofing the shed. It's not just an example. And I bet you can always think of something else you could be doing. Something else that you could be spending your time, your energy on. And our culture insists, we insist, keep busy, keep on doing, keep on producing. So what do we do about this? What do we do with all this task? Well, we make priorities. We make priorities in our minds, consciously or unconsciously, what to do first, what to do next. And the danger is not that our priorities are different. The danger is that we aren't mindful about how we make those priorities. The The danger is that we start doing something or some things that we really, if we thought about, would want to put off or would want to just let go. I end up marking item, items off my list and I sometimes ignore those intimate and those holy interactions which are the essence of my faith because I wrote that email, check, feels so good, but I didn't make a connection with somebody. I put that energy into the meaningless details when I could be putting it into the few worthy things. So I'm really saying be mindful. Think about what you're doing. Think about conscious decisions about priorities. And this gets very quickly to a deeper and more religious truth and more religious questions. For there's no way to assign objective weight to everything that comes up. And the crux is not that we have the same priorities. The crux is that we've thought about these. 
that we're mindful, that we're conscious of what we're doing. Listen to this quote by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Things which matter most must never be at the mercy of things which matter least. That's what we're talking about today, is making decisions of actions based on mindfulness. Okay, great. Got that. Good. So we want to make sure that we think about our actions and we have a good epitaph. But there's a reason that we do this, not just for when we're dead, but reason for right here and right now. And when I I have this example, when I say it, I I always feel like a self-help book. I feel like I'm selling a self-help book. Do you want people to enjoy being around you? Do you want to find romance? Do you want to be well-loved? That sort of thing. Well, I have this secret answer, and all you have to do is buy my... I I should have a book here, so I can actually like buy my book, and I give a signing after the... No, no, it's not. Um, But there really is. There is an easy, very easy and very difficult way to do this, to attract people, to attract positivity, to attract supportive relationships. And for inspiration here, I look to Disney. So there's a 1992 movie, Aladdin, where a poor boy was trying to win the heart of a princess, Jasmine. And in order to gain her love and affection, this poor Aladdin uses a magic lamp to disguise who he is and dress up and look like the infamous Prince Ali. That's the Prince Ali, wondrous he, Ali Ababa. Yep. And at one point, the shape-shifting genie, Robin Williams, and the lamp gives some sage advice. The genie turns into a bee. This is the picture here. And says, be yourself. Essentially, stop this front. Stop pretending to be someone else. Be yourself. Just be true to who you are. Now, who do you think Jasmine fell in love with? The fake Prince Ali or the real, true Aladdin who is poor? I'm not, I won't ruin it. You can watch this. I'm sure you can, you can look later and see what happens. But it can be very, very tempting. It can be very tempting to be someone you're not, to try to gain popularity, clout. In the long run, being the best you possible is the only way you will gain real, loving, and deep relationships. So this goes for communities, too. I'm talking about individually with Ali, but also communities here. It's both a communal and a personal charge and brings us to Wellsprings and your Called to Be series that you're in the midst of. If you are here for a while, you know that. If you're new, you don't know it. I'll tell you right now. You're in the midst of a Called to Be series where you're looking at your DNA, your values, your mission, what you want to be as a group and as a faith community. I'm coming here. As an outsider. And as an outsider, I have one question. What does it look like if Wellsprings is the best Wellsprings it can be? And then the converse. What would it look like if you tried to be something you're not? A number of years ago, I was working out at a gym. And this gym publicized themselves by putting on their website 10 reasons to not come to this gym. And do you know what happened? Increased membership, increased um, money, increased interest. The reason so many people came to the gym wasn't because of their advertising. Their advertising was negative and tongue-in-cheek. People came to participate in this fitness community because the owner, the coaches, the members 
lived out their mission. They were overtly and obviously dedicated to that mission of training people to be physically fit. So this is true for gyms, it's true for individuals, for churches, for faith communities, for other organizations. When a person is themselves, when a group is unapologetically genuine and holds true to their beliefs, they naturally attract others who want to be part of that. With churches, it means living out the church's mission, vision, beliefs, and commitments above all else. On the back, I think it's on the back of your order of service, it has the brief new DNA that you're working on. And it's great to write it, but even better, the best advertising you can do is to embody that DNA, to embody being a community charged full with the charge of the soul. That someone comes in and they say, well, I see that. I don't know what that means. And they're like, oh, my gosh, these people are charged full with the charge of the soul. That's when they get it. That's when you're living out your values and being yourself. These statements aren't just good things to say. They're good things to live out, to embody. They must be obvious. They're actions. Check out this observation about Unitarian Universalist congregations, congregations which have shown growth and consistent growth. This is from the Reverend Tandy Rogers from the UUA Office of Growth Strategies. These congregations which have growing. Tandy says, None of those thriving religious communities lead with numerical growth as a goal. They lead with doing church well. Membership wasn't the goal. Popularity wasn't the goal. It was a byproduct of being true to themselves. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about church growth, though. I'm talking about being true to yourself. It's about knowing who you are, living into that knowledge, and the understanding. We strive for self-authenticity in order to have a meaningful epitaph on our tombstone and so that we will have friends. That's what I'm saying, right? Well, yes, in a nutshell, but taken theologically, being yourself enhances your present existence. It enhances the existence of those around you and enhances the world after you are gone. Having people like you is a manifestation of that. It's showing that positivity. Having a meaningful saying on your tombstone is just a manifestation. It's showing that you've impacted the world in a positive way. So how do we live truly and authentically into our selfhood? Well, living into our true essence necessitates knowing your true essence, which brings us to maybe the simplest and the most difficult question we can ask is, who are you? Who am I? Some would say that the ability to even contemplate that question is what differentiates humans from other animals. It's very essence of being, the ability to step outside of ourselves, contemplate, who am I? So who are you? What is that piece? What are those pieces that make you, you? And this is... This is the central part of the sermon, the central part of the message, but I cannot answer it for you. Who are you? What are your beliefs, your values, your identities? Do you have concealed identities which only show up in some areas of life? Are there parts of yourself which you are still figuring out, have yet to discover? You are the only one who can answer that question.
what I can do, what this community can do, is offer support and offer challenge. We're all on this lifelong path of discerning who we are and what we are meant to be. And so for my prophets, I look to Disney, but I also look to Shel Silverstein. And as he has penned, there is a voice inside of you that whispers all day long, I feel that this is right for me. I know that this is wrong. No teacher, preacher, parent, friend, or wise men can decide what's right for you. Just listen to the voice that speaks inside. The path is varied, but we have some options. The way to be, to know yourself is to be with yourself, to be with others, to be with yourself in silence, in prayer, in walks through the woods, reading, writing, meditation, to be with others in conversation, in religious community, in friendship, in questioning. Knowing yourself means living what you feel is true and not living what you feel as false. And when we are authentically ourselves, when we truly live into who we are, we make the world a better place. From our authenticity comes authentic relationships, real caring and love, which blossom care for the ever-increasing circles of interaction. This from the wise Parker Palmer. Our deepest calling is to grow into our own authentic selfhood. Whether it or not it confirms, conforms to some image of who we ought to be. As we do so, we will not only find the joy that every human being seeks, we will also find our path of authentic service in the world. It benefits the world to have people who are true to themselves and who are living into their calling. This, this is the crux of all faith, as I see it. This is the crux of all faith. And yes, I find it very interesting, and I encourage you to come back and talk with me. I find it very interesting to talk about what we believe about those unanswerable, unknown questions. But for me, theology is, how does that belief play out in your life? How does that how does that play out? So you believe in Jesus as the Christ. Okay, what does that mean for you in your daily life? How do you, how do you live that? Oh, you're a non-theistic, neo-pagan druid. How does that inform how you live? That's, that's what I want to see, both individually and communally. How do we live our life constantly informed by our faith? What do your beliefs say about where you shop? How you drive? The food you eat, where you spend your time, where you spend your money. How does your faith come into play when you get cut off in traffic? Which is an easier question to answer now than when you're being cut off in traffic, right? What about when the line at the grocery store is really long? Or when we've been out of work for months and months? Where does our religion meet us then? Now, the great part of this spiritual life discernment is that we do it in community. What better place to challenge and support and love each other in our religious journeys than at this loving, beloved community of faith?
This is where we come together to support, to love each other, to recenter ourselves in our shared faith. This is the task of religious community. In closing, I share an ancient Jewish story. Rabbi Zuzia, when he was an old man, said, In the coming world, they, were not, they will not ask me, Why were you not Moses? Or why were you not Solomon? They will ask me, Why were you not Zuzia? We don't need to be someone or something we are not. We are called to be ourselves, to be the best selves we can be. So be yourself, your true self, your authentic self. Please pray with me. To the spirit which transcends us, which creates, embodies us, with so many names, with no names beyond our understanding, we give thanks for our lives. We give thanks for our lives. We give thanks for this community. We give thanks for that ever-going, ongoing task of learning who we are, of discerning who we are, and trying to live that out. And especially that thanks for a community of support and challenge which helps us. We ask for blessings upon our lives, upon our quest, upon our family and friends and all those we interact with. That we and they may live into their true selves now and always. Amen. If you enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website wellspringsuu.org. That's wellsprings, the letters uu.org.